Hello and welcome to Legends of the New Republic, your Star Wars podcast. We are continuing our trip through Truce at Bakura by Kathy Tyers this week, and uh, we are hoping to end it by finishing the book. Uh, we left off at the end of Chapter 17 with Dev Sibawara jumping on Luke Skywalker to strangle him to death in a desperate effort to save the galaxy. I'm David, I'm one of your hosts here, and joining me tonight are... Joining you tonight are Chris, your local Sith apologist. Uh, and I'm Jason, and I found my holy grail. And I'm Kat, and I'm a Sith hunter. Chris, watch out. <laughs> and I'm Jay, aka SharkRay24, and I'm ready to throw these hands out the window <laughs> because I have carpal tunnel and it really hurts and it's oh, annoying. No. <laughs> I just want to see you. to see which person you would take the side of. <laughs> I just want to see your hands like fly out the window, like just do a jump cut. Like you just rear back and then suddenly just see hands fly out the window outside and we're all just looking at you going, wait, how did you do that? I got to do a Luke Skywalker where my hand falls off and suddenly <laughs> there's a giant bulge that suddenly mysteriously formed in my sleeve somehow <laughs> after my hand was cut off. One arm is about nice. six inches longer than the other suddenly. So wait, I'm curious, Jason, what is your holy grail? Okay, so I was going through my storage locker. I had to take some stuff out there and uh, just happened to go through some of my boxes that was out there already. Came across the recorded episodes of Star Wars from the mid-90s <laughs> that I had recorded off of the Sci-Fi channel before, even way back before it was the Siffy channel. Um, sorry, that was a weird joke there. but uh, No, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, recorded off of the sci-fi channel, uh, with narration, not, not narration, uh, hosted by none other than Billy D. Williams. Oh, wow. And it's the, it's the original cut, not the, the 97 era special edition cut. So was this, was this prompted by my angry realization of human huts? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Jay, should should we talk about that, that too? Jabba a... used to be a humanoid in the original script and not a giant slug thing. <laughs> so I follow this bl- this blog on Tumblr, and the owner of this blog has a very big reputation for having really weird and niche interests. Unsurprisingly, that's the blog where I found the pictures of Human Hut. Yeah, it's a weird-looking <laughs> costume too it's like some big yeah. furry vest the guy looks kind of like he owns a deli yeah but yeah so now now i gotta figure out how i'm gonna now i gotta just gotta find a vcr to watch this <laughs> stuff on so i think my parents still have their vcr so worst comes to worst you could get the vj the tape uh, digitized so speaking... I, yeah i probably could sorry uh jay go ahead speaking of holy grails i need to do my mama some right Because in a previous episode, I was complaining about how she never let me finish the treasure map from (laughs) Treasure Planet. And how I I never let her forget that. Well, a few weeks ago, she went online and she hunted down every single piece of the treasure map (laughs) and got it for me. So I just want to say that I'm holding it right now. And I just want to say that my mom rocks. (laughs) <laughs> that's that that's awesome a, that's, that's a wonderful wholesome. 
How fantastic. So that's, that's a great one loose, That's one loose end of this podcast tied up. <laughs> we have resolved a subplot. Uh, Will we see so you again, protagonist? No, you're just a filler character. <laughs> no, it's your arc for this book. Because we're on the last episode <laughs> of this book. We have reached um, the last couple chapters of Truce of Pakura, so we are going to blitz tonight because we're going to get through here. Um, Woo! So we left off. I love like your I confidence. Said, oh, yeah, no. speaking we're of do it. random historical facts, there's actually no, a no wonderful. No, random historical facts. We're finishing this book. <laughs> no, you, you said blitz, and therefore we went to World War II because Chris's interests. So, anyway. <laughs> This There's actually the a wonderful podcast. historical treatise called um, Blitzed, the War in Europe. And it basically points out how um, Peritin, Peritin uh, there was a drug that was distributed widely to German soldiers during the Blitz, which was just cocaine in a tablet. <laughs> and so they're like, yeah, how did the Germans like literally I take most of Europe in under a month? It's like, oh, yeah, cocaine. <laughs> That's how. a different story about so, that. But, um... So... I mean, Pervitin. how was World Pervitin. War One? It was called Pervitin. Um, anyway, before we get down a very odd, not at all Star Wars related tangent, let's get into chapter 18, where Luke Skywalker is our POV character, and he reveals that it is somewhat distracting from mentally dominating a Pueck uh, to free them from their imprisonment to have Deb trying to kill him. But nonetheless, he manages to guide the Pueck to turning off the lights so that Luke can then spring into action and reveal to Dev that he has been awake the entire time. And Dev does not like, need to kill him. I I would just like to note that this is a very, like, normal reaction to having somebody try to strangle you. <laughs> like, having I mean, had somebody try strangling me before, I'm just like, yep, that's that's it. That was a distraction. <laughs> I feel like Luke's operating on a different time scale, considering it's only been a couple of days, maybe a week since somebody tried to electrocute him repeatedly. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's just kind of like, huh. At least this doesn't quite hurt that bad. <laughs> that, that is one thing I really appreciate with um, the Name of the Wind series. They actually kind of like give weird time beats where it's like, yeah, and then a month passed. And then I was nearly murdered again instead of like, oh, yeah. And then the next weekend I was nearly murdered again. <laughs> like imagine Luke's psychic state at this point, like the amount of mental stress that would be on him having gone from one high stress situation into a net into another one with basically no downtime. Like he is just waiting for a, like a couch and a psychiatrist and a week long <laughs> like session. Oh, that's why he just uses the force. It's kind of smooths it all over. The force aids in dissociation. Ah. So how does that make you feel, young Jedi? Don't know. Don't care. (laughs) I'm one with the force. Release all emotions to the void. Checkmate. So they fight their way free, and uh, Firoarung and Blue Scale flee the room before they can get too far. But Luke does steal his lightsaber back from Blue Scale um, and uses it to fight their way free. Uh, he pretty much at this point also formally offers Dev, like, you know, if we get out of this, I'll make you a Jedi if you want. And Dev's like, yeah, it's better than being a slave. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, though? Um, 
So they, <laughs> Luke's like, okay, so what is this chair thing they were trying to strap me in? And Dev explains in Techment, and then Luke's like, well, how many of these do they have? And he's like, uh, how many do you want? <laughs> and so then they decide to go sabotage the ship to prevent the Techment devices from being used ever again. Uh, so they start fighting their way to the, the kind of maintenance levels of the ship. And along the way, they run into some traps that the Seerook have set, a big, big electrical shock traps. And Luke uses the Force to, con to contact the intact spirits that are inside of the electrical circuits and convince them to basically trigger the traps too early and then dissipate. Um, so, they're, so they're disarming traps, which is confusing the Seerook, because they're like, why aren't any of these traps working? Um, and which they're on their way to the engine. a very realistic response. They were yeah, like, why? on those traps. <laughs> why do they just keep going off when they get close to them, and but not quite close enough? <laughs> um, so yeah. Han, ever guessed... we then switch to Han's perspective for just a second, because he's in the space battle fighting against the Siru. And he's jealous of the new Imperial Demp guns. It's D-E-M-P. It's all capitalized. And they talked about these a little bit earlier, but we, we went over them. I think it stands for Directional EMP or Directed EMP. Yep. It's basically a gun that disables other ships, but they don't work because all the ships that are armed with dump guns accidentally disable themselves and get destroyed. And then Han <laughs> says, oh, I guess I'm glad I didn't get one for the Falcon. <laughs> so it's just kind of a neat moment to me because it's like, oh, yes, the Empire's stuff sometimes doesn't work because, uh, you know, they're evil and they have the coolest toys, but they also don't do safety. Well, and this is something that's covered in multiple uh, sections of both the Extended Universe, the Legends Universe, as well as um, the TV series and such, is something very realistic about how militaries work. They don't give the contract to the people who design things well. They give the contract to the people who offer to do it for cheap. Exactly. I mean, that's pretty much the stated reason why TIE Fighters exist. They're fast and they're cheap, and the, the fact that they don't have any shield generators on them doesn't matter because they can make a million of them. Exactly. Speaking from somebody who's dealt with military contracting and stuff, it's not always who does it cheaper. Sometimes it's just who gives more kickbacks to the senators in charge of the... Uh, yeah. oh, that's Even fair. Better. We should address the Even crony better. capitalism and nepotism, too. Yeah, and people, any group giving any other group money has basically like two motivations, getting me the most of X as possible or giving you the most of the X that I have to give as possible. Yes. I read a thing about like cups for a Navy base ending up being marked as like $8 per ceramic mug. Oof. And I just thought to myself... TIE Fighters are like those ceramic cups. <laughs> Can you I, even I think... imagine? <laughs> I can't remember if it's the next book or if it's one of the books in that trilogy, but I believe there is um, some talk in our next uh, set of books, at least, about the Imperial shipyards and how these things get built. So we'll have that to look forward to. And along with some interestingly named characters, but we'll get, we'll get to that when we get there. <laughs> Talking about the X-Wing um, series? I'm thinking about the Mandalorian armor because there's a character in there who works at the shipyards. Oh, okay. Um, if I'm remembering correctly. Because I haven't read that one since probably like 2010. <laughs> um, well, you, you, you know what they say about TIE Fighters is that 
they're really great to prevent a stalemate. Get it? <laughs> Thai fighters? To prevent a stalemate? It seems like that's how you would get a stalemate. No, no, because it's like a tiebreaker, but it's a fighter. Yeah, because you show up. They literally. Yeah, it shows up and fights all the ties. Yeah, they fight against the ties. That's the joke I was making. That is what we call a pro gamer joke, and I'm sorry, I was too much of a scrub to get it. (laughs) One day I will get good and get your humor. Not today, though. I don't think I get my humor at this point anymore. <laughs> well, I have been off of work for literally 28 minutes now. So, like, <laughs> give me just a moment. So we have an emotional moment for Dev happening now because they have reached uh, a corridor leading to the entechment area. And they are confronted by Blue Scale, the one who has pretty much inflicted all of the mental brainwashing and hypnotism and not really explained whether it's related to the force at all or not uh, mental stuff that devs had done to him um, who attacks dev from behind and slashes his throat, but not deeply and dev still goes down. So devs on the floor and Luke confronts blue scale and they have a little fight. Uh, and then dev who was faking it basically jumps up behind blue scale and, uh, essentially empties a paddle beamer's energy cell into his brain, uh, which is more than enough to fry anything left inside of Blue Scale's head. (laughs) He is very dead. (laughs) He's essentially been tased to death. So I I was thinking about this power that the the Sea Rook have. And, you know, like we, we've established, it's not the Force, but it's it's very similar to the Force in many aspects. Yeah, it's a little bit and weird and vague. So maybe it's just the Ecroth. <laughs> that was See, another joke. <laughs> I, I got it after a second, but there was a moment where my brain had been thinking about the Waru, which is a whole other thing we'll get to. And I was wait, like, wait, is, is there, there another anti-force? Called, is there actually something called the Ecroff? <laughs> no, but there is something called the Waru, and it's yeah, it's it's a whole other thing. We'll get there eventually. Well, that, that, that was a, that was mostly a joke. But my best guess for like seriously, my best guess with the whole psychic connection things is we've seen how the Siruk um, communicate through high-pitched frequency sounds. Mm -hmm. And my best guess is that their brainwashing of humans has to do with those high-frequency sounds that humans can't hear. That's very plausible, actually. I like that explanation. Because humans in real life have been shown to be susceptible to the effects of frequencies that we can't even hear right a lot of riot equipment that's been coming out recently uh, operates under that under that assumption because you can essentially um destroy people's sense of balance with those vibrations because it throws off your inner ear and you can also make people nauseous for that same in that same way um go ahead and especially with dev being a teenager they found that teenagers and adolescents and young adults are more susceptible than any other category of people. Mm-hmm. Um, to, I like to that these explanation effects. because otherwise it's just one of those weird things. Because Star Wars is pretty explicit about the fact that the supernatural stuff that happens in the setting 
is all the force. There isn't multiple sources of supernatural power. Mm-hmm. Um, except for the Waru, but we'll get there. Um, <laughs> I like it because it reminds me of Mass Effect 3 um, and 2 and 1. Yeah. Um, but not all the parts of those games that disappointed me. <laughs> I just finished replaying Mass Effect 3, but it was heavily modded, and I love that game. I'm, I'm going through Andromeda now because you talked about Mass Effect, and I was like, damn it. I, it. I have never finished Andromeda, but it's not Andromeda's fault. I just always get distracted sometime after I get the Nomad. I entirely disagree. I think it's entirely Andromeda's fault, and you can cover for it all you like. <laughs> I feel bad about Andromeda because it's pretty obvious that the fault of Andromeda was just the fact that it got foisted off on a studio that was not ready for it. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't Bioware making it. It was Bioware Montreal. And you know who I feel bad for? Full game. You know who I feel bad for? Luke Skywalker and Deb Zubawara. Because yeah. <laughs> they're topical. It's true. And Luke <laughs> is actually beginning to cough. And he doesn't know this. But we as the audience know that that means his parasites that uh, are in his lungs are hatching. Uh, And of course, because a dramatic moment has happened, we switch over to Han and Leia's perspective to build some tension. Uh, And they're arguing with Peter Thanos, who is shooting down the Seeruk escape pods. Um, Thanos has been told that there's some form of contagion that needs to be stopped from reaching the planet. Because Narius obviously knows that Luke is infected and thinks that the entire Sea Rook ship is going to have these parasites on it soon. Um, and he, he implies they're way more contagious than we've kind of, you might expect, if you're thinking of them like chestbursters from Alien, which is like their closest analog. But he seems to think that if they get onto Bakura, it's game over for Bakura. Which makes me think it was pretty stupid of him to put them on the ship in the, the first place. Why did uh, he have them on Bakura in the first place? I know, place it's like then? you had these things here. What are you doing, man? But anyway, he, it's, it's Narius. He's not very smart. <laughs> uh, but Leia still thinks that it's kind of a war crime, because it totally is, to be shooting down these escape pods without any rhyme or reason. I mean, um, it is a war crime. Exactly. They, like, they no, no, surrendered. No, you, you really shouldn't be doing that. Um, and as soon as the the majority of the escape pods are mopped up and the Siruk fleet begins to retreat, um, the Empire shoots the flurry down, the carrier. They, they blow it up uh, and start shooting at the rebels and cut off communications, basically. So the, the truce is well and truly broken at this point. Uh, David, the Empire has betrayed them. Yes. I'm disappointed that you didn't include my favorite line of Han Solo in this entire book. Oh no, please point it out. When when Leia says, "Do you think Luke's on that ship?" and then suddenly all the escape pods start shooting out and small <laughs> explosions start bursting out all across that <laughs> ship and Han's like, "Yep, Luke's definitely on that <laughs> ship." <laughs> That's awesome. I forgot about that line. I'm so disappointed. This is why we have more than just that. me here because I miss things that we I, I tragic to actually miss. I wonder if that was a compliment to Luke's ability to make things go bad, or no. if it was a critique of how crappy of a mechanic he is. I think that it was more just a statement of how to spot a Skywalker ship. <laughs> Which one's exploding? That one. <laughs> Got him. Now I, mean, I want Obi-Wan Kenobi to do that. Like, I want a Clone Wars scene where they're like, which one is Anakin on? And they're like, one just starts destroying itself. It's like, that one. I honestly think that happened at least five times in the think it has, shows. Yes. It literally has. And, and I'm betting this is a complete headcanon. So 
there were moments where Han Solo and Obi-Wan Kenobi were left alone. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that Obi-Wan was just sitting there with a cup of calf going, <laughs> so here's how you handle Skywalkers, sir. <laughs> See, I have, I have a headcanon for this now, too. My headcanon is that um, Han Solo doesn't know Obi-Wan's dead at all because he didn't see him die. And he was busy flying the ship during Luke's whole sad Obi-Wan's dead moment. So he doesn't even know. And Obi-Wan has just kept popping up and talking to him as a ghost, being like, Skywalkers, am I right? <laughs> this is my emotional support force ghost. <laughs> he shows up and is like, I know, man, them feels dope. <laughs> I just imagine someday down the line, Hunt is like, all right, all right, Ben, you got to tell me. Leia's mad. What did I do this time? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and then Ben having never seen a Skywalker in love that he actually has any kind of knowledge of at the time is just sort of like well let's see what made Anakin mad did you kill her mom no wait that happened already <laughs> did, you, did you murder did you murder a village of of innocent bystanders did you deny her the rank of master <laughs> did you hide on her ship to try to kill her wait <laughs> Did you criticize her piloting abilities? <laughs> did you Han tell her slamming that... his fists down on the table? That's it. Did you mention sand at all? <laughs> <laughs> did you tell her that only Sith deal in absolutes? <laughs> did you say that she was like a brother to you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a great blooper from Revenge of the Sith where uh, Anakin's carrying around Palpatine. <laughs> Uh, on the ship in the beginning uh they're trying to like get off the, the grievous's cruiser and they're like you know there's like sparks and explosions going off on the set and they're running to the elevator door and they get there and he hits the door with his fist and you just hear george lucas off screen being like wrong door <laughs> i have seen those bloopers <laughs> anyway <clears throat> so we made it to chapter 19 uh, and we see Gariel here at the beginning is uh, still with Narius in his office watching the battle on his hollow table, which I am pretty sure is not the bone table. Um, no, 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 no. It's the bone table. <laughs> and he has a little hologram projector oh, thing in the center. The bone table produces images of destruction. <laughs> at this point, they're rebel ships disappearing off of the hollow display. Uh, and Gariel gets upset and says, wait a minute, what are you doing? You can't attack the rebels. Um, That's against the rules. You yeah. can't do that. That's illegal. <laughs> exactly. And he's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you think the Empire is going to do if they find out that we made a deal with the rebels? Uh, so I have to eliminate the evidence. And he makes a pretty good case from an Imperial perspective, actually. But at this point, Gariel has officially switched sides mentally. Uh, so she is still incensed about it, even though it makes sense from an Imperial point of view. It's scummy, but it makes perfect sense with the Imperial mindset. I told you um, the truth from a certain <laughs> point of view. Exactly. <laughs> well, I have morals from a certain point of view. <laughs> so Han realizes they're losing, and he's he's desperate. He prepares. Uh, he, he's going to try to suicide ram the, the Dominant with the Falcon. The Dominant is Peter Thanos' ship. To try to get the rest of the Rebels out. Um, and Leia's like, wait, 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 before we kill ourselves, why don't we see what Luke does? Um, 
Yeah, he always does something. He's already busy destroying another ship. I don't see what the problem is asking him to do as a solid on the <laughs> second one. <laughs> yeah, really. Yep, Luke's definitely but... on that ship. <laughs> <laughs> but Luke seems like he's going to come through for him because he and Dev storm the bridge of the Shrewir and uh, they confront Firawurung. Uh And while Dev and Firawurung kind of square off, Ferrowarung, I have no idea how you're supposed to say half of these. these in the audio book, in, in the audio book, they pronounce it Fearwong. I hate Ooh, it. Wow, I can't even say that. Fearwong. <laughs> Fearwong. But there's big F. So we can just mumble it. F I R W I R R U N G. I spell it a different time every time I type it in the show notes. <laughs> um, my dyslexia keeps me from saying it in any meaningful way, and so I don't. Uh, I say the lizard guy (laughs) and Luke uses the force again to convince both the battle droids and the ship itself basically to attack the Empire uh, and distract them from the rebels to essentially intercede and and break the pressure off so the rebels can get away the true power of the Skywalker family is just excessive distraction (laughs) Unfortunately for both Dev and Luke, this means that that Dev is on his own for a second against um, who, despite Dev not being brainwashed anymore, he still can't quite break the imprint that Fearwurung basically has left on him since he's basically been Fearwurung's pet for a long time. He's, he mentions like sharing a nest, um, like sleeping on the edge of his nest and, you know, being even though it's all manipulative, he was still treated the way that you treat a good pet by Fearwurung. And there's just a moment's hesitation that Dev has about shooting him. Um, This is what an emotionally abusive relationship between an adult and a child looks like. Yeah, it's it's really tragic, too, because Fearwurung shoots him with the paddle beaver uh, because he, he hesitates. So it's entirely down to the way that Dev has been treated, that Dev can't bring himself to do it. And it still ends up costing him even more. Uh as he takes a shot and goes down. Um, and we don't know how he's doing after that. We just know he was hit with a paddle beamer. Uh, and then Luke jumps and, and tries to intercede by killing Fairwurung. Uh, but before he can help Dev, the parasites become a critical issue and start going for his aorta. So Luke fades into a trance trying to fight them off uh, and coughs and splutters on the floor. And meanwhile, the rebels form a defensive screen to try to get the Falcon to the Rook cruiser to rescue Luke. Um, and we get to chapter 20. We're just blitzing through here, Whee! as I said. <laughs> and by the way, speaking of World War II and cocaine, <laughs> there was actually a Finnish soldier who got lost fighting the Soviets during I World was going to tell that story. <laughs> okay, Kat, because you are my favorite, you can tell the story instead. So there was a Finnish soldier who got uh, separated from his battalion, and he had the battalion's supplies of cocaine. And he was looking around, and he was like, I'm going to die anyway. So he took all of it at once. Oh, no. (laughs) This dude, (laughs) among other things, there were many highlights to to his two-week solo rampage. First off, he broke into the gulag, rescued people, and then broke out single-handedly. <laughs> Second, 
he managed to evade capture entirely on skis. <laughs> Third, as far as anybody could tell, after, you know, he came down off of the exceptional high, he had eaten multiple raw birds whole. <laughs> what? Um, he managed to wipe out several enemy battalions single-handedly, <laughs> took out snipers, and when he finally got back and such, he had lost somewhere along like half of his own body weight. <laughs> he weighed yes. something like 90 pounds. Yeah. Wow. It was incredible. And I'm sure must have done intense psychological damage. I'm sure. <laughs> to both him and the enemies. <laughs> wow. Don't do a battalion's worth of cocaine, children. <laughs> even if you have skis. Not even once. <laughs> No, no, if you have skis, you know that you will survive. <laughs> I just I just imagine like the Germans walking through the forest and suddenly some like insane Finn on a pair of skis comes flying past <laughs> dual wielding machine guns and swearing in Finnish. With, with just like a with a dead bird happening yes! in his mouth. This needs Both to be eyes fully dilated, just huge pupils. This this needs to be made into a movie. Like Canal <laughs> Express World War Two edition yeah. or something. No, I think... Well, and there are two directions that the movie could take. One is the um, the uh, perspective of the Finnish soldier and such, <laughs> and and uh, that would be a rather trippy movie. Why the do I feel like other this movie would option star Tom is from the perspective of the enemy soldiers, and that's a horror movie. <laughs> I, I you're disagree. Forgetting, you're forgetting. I think... You're forgetting the one super viable option too. Three. It's as much as I don't like those movies, take it from the perspective of like the hangover, where it starts where he's waking up from this cocaine fever and slowly <laughs> piecing together what he's done. See, this is my take. I think it's a K drama about two Koreans that got lost and end up on the the German side in the war, just trying to get back home. And while they're doing that, we just intercut with this Finnish soldier just going rampaging through the forest. <laughs> like they're just walking around going, how are we going to get back to Seoul? And they're like, we don't know. Suddenly you see him fly behind them with the skis and the bird out of his mouth. And they're like, what happened? They're like, hmm? that just sounds like someone mixed together so, old boy, the Pineapple Express and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are I was about to say Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. <laughs> What I'm saying is, though, and what I think we can all agree on, ultimately, is that the Finnish need to get on this for <laughs> the sake of the world. And if there's already a movie about it, I will pop on the subtitles, I will read the <laughs> translations, and I will be thrilled, no matter what direction it takes. So, th this actually made me think of something Star Wars related. Because, because this cocaine <laughs> this is, okay. super soldier is basically like the Nordic berserkers. And it makes, makes me wonder if there's like a Star Wars equivalent. Wookiees. Palpatine's son. <laughs> Wookiees. <laughs> I feel like the closest thing is a Sith. It's a Wookiee. Because it's a Wookiee. Up until 
really the reboot. I think drugs were mostly not talked about in Star Wars. There was spice, but mm. even then they kind of stopped, they steered away from it up until the latter half of Legends, really. Um, I, there is an arc, if we get that far, of the young Jedi Knights that is basically like a very weird drug PSA masquerading as a Jedi novel. It's very weird. <laughs> well, Gotta love part those of that's 90s. also because a lot of these books were written um, for teens and young adults in America mm. in the like 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Hey man, oh. drugs aren't cool. Luke Skywalker doesn't do them, so neither should you. Nobody's grandson. And so the sad did. thing is that they made their drugs very cool, like the webs of space spiders that you take that let you see the future and explode so and great exposed book. to light. That is such a great book. I can't wait to get to that book. <laughs> it's so good. But no, I would honestly say it's Wookies because Wookies usually with Berserker rages, you actually have a. Um, tied physical prowess to it where like your physical strength is increased or at least that's how the stories are proposed um, are proposed wookies canonically have a real bad temper <laughs> and also have that physical aspect of um, strength and being able to kind of go into a rage like in the games at least they talk about pers- specifically they have um, a term for people who kind of have gone too far and use their claws in a fight and they call them mad oh, yeah. claws and things like that, where basically it's implied that they lost themselves so much to this rage or this fury that they became animals to some degree. So I still think Wookiees are technically the berserkers of Star Wars. (laughs) And the moral of this story, as Han Solo will repeatedly tell you, let the Wookiee win. But really. (laughs) Um, So speaking of winning, (laughs) the Imperials appear to have done just that on Bakura as Gariel is about to give up and uh, doesn't see any other options, but to accede to Narius's demands that she make a broadcast telling all the rebels to stand down or the revolutionaries, uh, because it seems like the empire has outplayed them at every turn. And her uncle Yorg is brought in as a hostage. Um, and they're going to execute him in the room with her if she doesn't make the broadcast. Uh, and he keeps encouraging her not to do it. Uh, but it turns out to be a moot point because the 132-year-old revolutionary leader, Epi Belden, bursts into the room with a bunch of her revolutionaries and quickly turns everything around, taking Narius as a hostage. Uh, she uses some kind of sonic disruptor thing, it seems like, that just disables everybody in the room. Well, and, uh, and, the, power, the, guns. and the power of weaponized Karen. <laughs> she just, like, destroys... I think it's actually she's using the, like device that messes with the stormtrooper headsets because it's only the stormtroopers that are affected um they're they're like helmets start blaring like really painful noise and they drop their guns um they uh manage to get the access codes to the communications channels after it got switched after they used the last access code and then essentially they were like dubstep but loud (laughs) max volume jizz music there's a weapon in saints row the fourth which is literally just a gun that shoots weaponized dubstep and that's pretty much what just happened here (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, so the bakurans basically succeed in their revolt because they've captured the imperial governor um, and realizing this um Gariel and Epi basically decide not to kill Narius. They're going to keep him captive because killing him would just kind of legitimize 
Oh. Or delegitimize their evolution, essentially. Uh, they and also because she thinks that, hey, you know, if we turn them over to if we turn them over to the rebels and he actually did manage to kill their Jedi, I feel like they'll come up with something more creative than us. <laughs> yeah, I, I think she says something at some point. Where she's like, we were going to just try you ourselves. But after what you've done to the rebels, I think the rebels will be harsher on you. So we'll give you to them. That's literally it. And I think that this <laughs> highlights Epi Belden is not making this decision because she's merciful. Right. <laughs> she's making it because she realizes that outsourcing ideas for punitive actions may be a good decision because <laughs> she hasn't seen what the Rebel Alliance will think of it yet. And she's like, hmm. Well, if I lost, you know, one of the greatest allies that I had um, due to this fuckwad. Um, <laughs> I would probably be way more pissed than if, you know, I were simply fighting for the safety of my planet and such. Huh. <laughs> I wonder if they'll invite me to the execution. <laughs> Well, it's a very interesting concept, though, because the rebels, technically speaking, could be try like that could be considered war crimes depending on how they punished him. Oh and yeah, so, but like, but I mean, the rebels may very well commit war crimes. Oh sure, I mean, it's war. That's what war crimes are for. Um, but like in this context, it's sort <laughs> of like I wonder if the actual like if that plan would backfire, if she's like, oh yeah, the rebels, they'll punish you the way I would like you to be punished. They give them to the rebels and like Mon Mothma shows up and goes, okay, I don't know anything about what this guy did, but you can't burn him. <laughs> and the rebels well, just all go, aww. I see, I see a twofold aspect to this. First of all, um, if Epi Belden is legitimately a truly moral character and so on and so forth, mm -hmm. um, then she can utilize this to determine whether or not it would be safe to enter into an official alliance with the rebel forces. Mm -hmm. Very Machiavellian. Chris approves. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Machiavelli's The Prince is a, an interesting read, and I disagree with him on many points. But um, It's also a satire. But most people yes. don't know that. But keep going. It is a satire, and I love that you know that. Um, <laughs> I still disagree with some of his points <laughs> oh, that no, he totally. was making through the satire. Oh, but, sure. Machiavelli um, was far from perfect. Yeah. Um, the second Things that you only hear here, apparently. Is that... If she herself is not a moral leader and such, she can claim ignorance and still get what she wants. So it will prevent her position from being questioned, even if the rebels do, you know, torture and kill him in a horrific way which will potentially be what she wants, but then she can be like, I had no idea that they were going to do that. You know, uh, yada, 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 yada. I am shocked and, and appalled. I mean, appalled. keep her position stable. Right, mm -hmm. and for a planet that has until recently been ruled by an, another intergalactic governing body that did exactly that kind of thing, it would not be exactly hard for the Bacorans to believe that that happened without her knowledge. Exactly. And those that knew probably wouldn't care. 
So because basically the reason that they are turning him over to the rebels is that he claims to have killed Luke. Um, we find Luke on the floor of the bridge uh, in kind of this like force fugue state, trying to convince the parasites to leave his body without killing him. And he manages to essentially convince them that they want to go up, not in. And so they just come up through his throat and he throws them back up onto the bridge without letting them chew through his lungs into his heart. Well, and uh, he specifically tried thinking about the smell and like uh, sensory information surrounding blood and then just right. like created a force illusion of that to, to lure them around. And like... It's pretty clever. Very clever. Um, Especially for someone coughing to death. But fascinating is how, like, centric to the assumption that these creatures perceive blood the same way a human would. Right. Well, the force is like, it just smooths over these kinds of things. It's like magic, except it's not. But I think it was an interesting way of doing it. Like, he connects kind of with their minds and then lures them out. But um, he's so weakened and they're so primitive that he can only do it with one at a time. Yes, yeah, so it's just this weird, like, tug of war trying to get them out before one of them gets to his heart. My question um, is, why couldn't he just force eat them up his throat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, see, the funny thing is, I don't think that they, especially in this stage of Legends, like, fine telekinetic control was not really a thing Jedi typically had. Mm -hmm. um, like, the ability to do that would have been a little bit OP for early Legends Jedi. Well, mm -hmm. okay, because they're described when, when he does eventually, you know, um, cough them up and such, as being roughly the same length and thickness as a finger. Yes. And I mean, I'm looking at my fingers and I'm like, that's not really fine control. I mean, it's fine motor skills, but that's not super uncommon. Um, and also, it seems like it would be a lot easier to just yank something out of that size than it would be to convince a primitive animal mind um, that you're the good guy and you're going to like be able to manipulate their sensory perspective. Um so delicately that you can guide them through the entire process of just exiting your body. At the, true. At the very least, it might be easier than, um, let's say, like taking on or deadening the pain of another sentient being in the middle of a high-stress situation. <laughs> That's true. Fair, oh. especially since he's also been taking on the pain of every single um, human soul that he's been um, releasing from entechment. That's that's fair. He's Luke, yeah, he's not he's pretty stressed. Luke is kind of like um what is it? Like the galaxy's martyr. Um dang it, there's a there's something like this that I don't know the the term for, but there's an idea that there are people that gain their value by how much they sacrifice for other people. Luke seems to be that unironically or at the very least without self-reflection. He's like, "Here, let me sacrifice for all of you because I should." without thinking that, oh yeah, the reason I feel like good about doing that is because I'm actually just doing it because I feel good about it. Hey, Jay, what like do you think about it? Do you think it w 
makes more sense to force yeet parasites or more sense to force manipulate parasites to crawl out on their own? Honestly, I think force eating makes more sense. And in the audiobook, that's what they made it sound like. Really? Yeah. They, they kind of like... brushed over it. They kind of just said, oh, he used the force to get the parasites out and cough them up with a little oh, bit wow. of blood. Yeah, it's like this whole extended sequence of him convincing them to leave in the book. No, they, they make it very short in the auto audiobook. They, they make it seem like the easiest thing he's done in this entire book with the force. Oh, wow. oh, that's fascinating because in in the written uh, book and such, it, I actually read it as being one of the more difficult things that he had to do. It makes sense. He's distracted. He's in pain. He's bearing all of the pain of these souls. Dev's just been shot. And not only is he trying to heal himself from these things, they are actively eating through his lungs while it's happening. Um... But he does get them out, and when he does, he sees that Han and Leia have arrived on the bridge to get him out. But he also discovers that not only did Dev get hit with the paddle beamer, um, the bridge collapsing around him and the amount of paddle beamer energy he took, he's very badly burned, and he is in really rough shape. Like, critical condition is actively dying kind of shape. So he tells Han that they have to bring Dev with him, um, and they flee the ship onto the Falcon just before the the Seabrook ship explodes. See, now we're missing my favorite interaction between Han and a Skywalker. All right, let's hear it. Han's response to Luke saying, grab Dev, is, what? Really? <laughs> <laughs> He's so done with this. He's like, excuse you. <laughs> I did not sign up for two rescues. <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Han Solo, I'm a one rescue kind of guy. He's not even a one rescue kind of guy. <laughs> this, is, this is brought up. <laughs> that he tries rescuing Leia earlier on and he has no plan of escaping. All he actually wants is proximity to the Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> so I, this is actually somewhere that I might need some help from you all to understand, because I was a little confused. After they get off the Sea Rook ship, Thanos calls them and basically says, if we surrender to the rebels, will you not hurt my crew? And I'm not sure why he suddenly feels he needs to surrender. Does he Does he know that, that Narius has been captured? I think it's implied he's trying to keep preventing the... He still thinks he needs to prevent the the parasites. Yeah. So oh, I, I, yeah. if I remember correctly, it's implied he's trying to take the path of least resistance because he, he feels kind of overwhelmed with keeping the rebels at bay, driving out the Siruk, and trying to deal with the parasite that at this point he's just trying to take the path of least resistance in order to try to keep as many people alive as possible right that makes sense okay i kind of got a little bit of that too that along with just him being kind of a more of a stand-up guy than some imperials you know with the story about you know his backstory of him taking care of the uh the talls you know all that kind of stuff. Like he, he kind of has a heart for the people under him. 
you know, they're not just fodder. Yeah, he's one of there's sort of two depictions of Imperials that we'll get more and more as the Legends universe goes on. There's sort of the cackling evil Narius kind of character. Uh, and then there's more of a, a Thanos kind of character where it's like they lean more towards valuing the order of the Empire and the very strict like hierarchy of um like things run very smoothly because they're run authoritarianly. And they value that, but they don't necessarily have evil reasons for doing so. They just, they like the very, like, mechanical aspect of it. Um, And I think he leans more in that direction, where it's like, he's still imperial, but he's not motivated by primarily selfishness, cruelty, sadism, or greed. He's motivated by, this is the system I understand, and this is how life works. Um, So I'm going to keep propping up the empire and we'll see you know he doesn't continue to do that (laughs) um so he does surrender the dominant to the rebels and uh the falcon flies back to salasdar to assess the situation on the ground and meet with epi's uh revolutionaries so epi brings narius with them to turn him over to the rebels which turns out to be somewhat karmic because when luke walks down the gangway of the falcon narius freaks out because he's like if he's still alive that means this planet is about to be infected with a death parasite so he steals a blaster rifle and starts shooting at luke and luke just kind of reacts instinctively and deflects the blast with his lightsaber and it flies right back into narius and kills him just boom right flat out dead oops that didn't happen in the audiobook that didn't happen. Seriously? No, they didn't kill him. He deflects the blasters. Then, um, Grandma there, what's her name? Epi, Epi Belden. Epi. She she takes the blaster back, and she's like, "What's the meaning of this?" And he <laughs> and Narius is like, "He's infected with a parasite. We're all gonna die." And Luke is like, "Oh, I took care of that." Very yeah, anti. No, he very, very anticlimactically says, "Oh, I took care of that." <laughs> and it, it, they just, instead of killing him, they just kind of make a fool out of Narius before he There's some ends very up going strange changes on... in the audiobook. Um, well, I yeah. think that a lot of those changes, um, having been in, you know, disability community spaces, um, are not actually that surprising. Um, they're just insulting. Uh, as the whole process of, like, censoring what people who for whatever reason uh struggle with reading hear like what what the way stories are told is presented um this happens um to with like closed captioning where swear words are omitted or bleeped out even if they aren't within the actual show and it's a way of um infantilizing huh others mm. well, i wonder who... well well much... with the swear word thing that's part of broadcast law mm-hmm. oh yeah for for, yeah. for 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 um shows and such that that are being broadcast and such but like netflix has done it um it's been done on animes it's been done on um 
anime translations in general are like a whole different topic for discussion because there's oh, yeah, so many yeah, different but just things. The, that have... the provided captions on like members only sites and such um, when they're translated or and interpreted when they're dubbed mm-hmm. the actual subtitles provided even if they were part of the dub itself don't match up with what's being said mm-hmm. in the dub mm-hmm. or in the sub. I think a lot of a lot of anime have gotten better at it uh, with offering both the English subtitles, which is like a regular sub, or the uh, English hard of hearing, which is the subtitles of what the English dub actors are saying, rather than the subtitle translation of the of the original Japanese script. Yeah, and that should be a standard. Mm-hmm. It's slowly th- becoming a standard more commonly. Mm-hmm. I think that in the situation for this adaptation, the it seems like the eye, based on from what I've heard um, Jay saying, they've cut out has is has to do with like consolidating and trying to like streamline the story. Or like they seem to cut out any sort of like lengthy description that they could just be like, yeah, and he forced you did them, GG. Like it seems to be that they're just trying to consolidate it, and that probably has to do with when they did the original recording and how long they could make it. Yeah, that's kind of. I was just gonna chime in real quick on that. I think that's kind of what I got the vibe out of it. Um, with the addition of like, if they made too drastic of a of a cut that it really made no sense, they may have had to kind of add an extra line or two which would kind of make sense why why jay's interpretation of the book could be so jarring from what was written sometimes not anything against like jay's interpretation but like just you know what was in the audio versus what's in the book you know what i mean right like if she's not hearing the yeah. whole story from the audio but there's like a difference between uh consolidating and yeah. literally changing Mm-hmm. What oh, yeah. happens to a character? Yeah, and, and I'm not. I'm not trying to defend it. That's but... more the problem with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, don't well, worry. Um... We get into <laughs> a lot of changes to, sadly, one of my favorite characters. But we're going to talk about that when we get to it. Uh, so the newly liberated Bakurans basically. Epi points out that since the governor is dead, they're no longer governed by the empire, and they're actually free to make their own decisions. So she basically says, look, if you guys will take us, we'll join the rebellion. And Leia says something about like, well, it's going to be the new Republic in a second here. <laughs> Leia. She's like, fine, on. whatever you call it. Brand switch. <laughs> <laughs> We're not rebels anymore. We're the new Republic. Leia's PR We're department in charge. just leans over and is like, hey, guys, this is where we rebrand. <laughs> And then we move into our final chapter, which is quite short. Uh, I have an ebook version of this, and it's only about seven pages long. Uh, and that's ebook pages. They're very short. So we find out in this chapter, basically, that um, sadly, Dev Sibawara does not recover from his injuries, and he will not be the second Jedi to be trained. Um, he, he, he dies. <laughs> it's kind of weird, too, because the way that it's presented, at least in chapter 20, is that he's critically injured. But I guess my meta senses were tingling because he wasn't just dead at that point. There was hope, which meant he would survive. But no, in chapter 21, he just dies. Well, see, uh, recall at the beginning of the book, 
a lot of their med stasis pods are holding Ewoks and other oh, yeah. rebels. So they do not have as much stabilization equipment as they normally would. Yeah, they well, were already super, super strained. And I found this to be a very nice little like tie-in where I was like, ah, no, they don't have the equipment necessary to save his life. So, yeah. Poor mm. Dev is unlucky in every aspect of his life. And young, half insane, just as he was freed. I was going to say, young, half-insane, brainwashed kid or cute, cuddly Ewok. Hmm, who do we take out of the tank? <laughs> uh... <laughs> but Dev has a name, so people assume he'll have plot armor. They forget we need character development for Luke before he starts the Jedi Academy. Well, yeah, because this is interesting, because after this, Luke is much more hesitant to try to recruit someone to be trained as a Jedi, because he doesn't feel he's up to the task. Um, and he, he worries that he will bring danger onto anyone he tries to train. Uh, they don't always explicitly say because of Dev Sivawara, but that's definitely in the background of Luke Skywalker's life, and definitely in his mind as he thinks about, like, I don't know if I'm equipped to do this. I got Dev killed trying to like play Jedi when I really should have gotten him to safety. So, question. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the things I I wouldn't mind doing at some point, is like when we get done with the movie, the the books and stuff, is just kind of like, since this is Legends canon and everything was decided that, or you know, when when Legends was squashed for new canon. Oh was, boy, everybody! <laughs> well, it was, it was stated that that the story team would pull elements from Legends to the new canon. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to nominate the idea of uh, at the end of the books, we maybe have a little segment on things that we think might have kind of come from the books. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, well, and in so that, next it, episode, we're going to have basically a saying goodbye to Truce of Bakura episode where we'll talk about our impressions and anything okay. like that. And I think well, that's a great addition to that to, episode. We'll be to that effect, and, and I know it's kind of jumping the gun since they just said it, that's but uh, the, the, the thing of the Luke being the reluctant teacher, you know, from are we going to do stories for the movie uh, uh, spoilers for the movies i'm assuming if people are yeah i mean if we if we say before if, like i just generally try to say like hey spoilers for this movie okay well well but... yeah spoilers for for well the whole uh the force awakens through rise of skywalker you know the the reluctantness you know when when he decides he just wants to be a, a hermit you know and run away because of what happened with him and ben mm-hmm <laughs> Uh, do you think this might have had something, you know, it might have been pulled a little bit from this? You know, the the whole idea of, well, maybe I'm not ready to be a teacher because of Dev? Yeah, I mean, that could be. Uh, I think that that's, it's expressed in a number of places in Legends. And I think more than that, it just speaks to that being a truism of Luke's character, even outside of either canon, that just Luke Skywalker's personality as presented is someone who would absolutely just introspect himself to pieces over whether or not he's ready to teach people um but yeah i, I think we should talk more about that next episode because i want to hear more uh, about what we could pull from this book uh and see kind of reflected thematically in the news the new stuff that's been coming out um 
so as way of wrapping up chapter 21, we're pretty much to the end of the book. Um, and I know that probably the big question on a lot of people's minds is, well, what happens with Luke and Gariel? Because we've been playing this sort of will-they-won't-they they game the whole book. Um, and essentially, Luke and Gariel acknowledge that, yeah, they both have feelings for each other. And maybe they could pursue those and, and make something work. But Gariel sort of also says, like, look, I've got to stay here. Bakura needs me. You can't stay here. The New Republic needs you. So this isn't going to work because we're both needed in different places. Gariel, um, I have a job, sir. I find this very interesting, actually, because, you know, nowadays with the, with, you know, the, the huge expansion of the internet, like long distance relationships are a lot more feasible. Mm -hmm. So like, I feel like if this book was written today, they would have tried a long distance relationship. Uh, I think no, that that's... because this was written after the Thrawn trilogy, so there was already like, if if the author read the Thrawn trilogy, which she clearly did, yeah, um, she would be familiar with one of the characters there and would have recognized that it was the start of a setup. So she had to. If she wanted to do a romantic game, she had to respect the end game. Well, I'm, but, I'm, to Jay's I'm, point, I'm talking about like like I said, I haven't read any of the other Star Wars. Right, I'm talking exactly. about True Son oh, Bakura yeah. as a standalone story. Mm -hmm. You know, not taking into any of the other Legends books or any of the canon. Well, obviously the canon of the movies. But Valid. Like, you know, I feel like, you know, now. Nowadays, when we think about relationships, distance is a lot less of a factor for most people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that you make a good point. Uh, I think, in fact, the book even kind of accidentally sets this up with its 90s understanding of the internet by having a plot point as to why they even found out Bakura was under attack. B, that the Imperial um, phone lines all ran through the Death Star. Mm -hmm. So there really isn't a way for them to send a long-distance phone call to Luke Skywalker mm -hmm. I think, uh, to keep that going. I think it has a little bit more to do with plotting, um, considering that if their story isn't going to continue with dealing with Bakura, it doesn't make sense to take this character, who Bakura is like their main focus and the main arc of their story, and then take them off of that world. And so if in the next book, this author was like, well, cool, now Luke and them are going to go over here. They were probably also trying to like clear the way to set up for a romance in that next one if they at least wanted that space. Yeah, I mean, we'll see in general, uh, especially with early Legends novels, there was sort of a expectation that each of them would largely be a standalone. Like they will reference each other, but they don't really start building a shared universe until the end of the 90s. Um, at which point you start to see things interlace a lot more. Uh, so I really think that at some level she was basically told, don't introduce anything that's permanent to the characters. Um, but I like the explanation that Jay gives about the understanding of technology at the time, because I think that's a big part of why it works in the book is basically like the assumption that, no, they can't just have a long distance relationship. There's not that kind of infrastructure to do that. Um, that is, you know, it's just not existent, which yeah, I, find that I mean, essentially, Pakura is in rural America. Really, <laughs> it is. It is a backwoods planet by Star Wars standards. Um, so, 
the other thing that I was going to ask Jay is you mentioned the audiobook handled the end of their relationship in a very different way. You want oh, to tell us about that? Yes. So, you know, we mentioned just now that Dev Savoara passes away. And at the end of the book, they have like a space Viking funeral for him where they jettison, jettison him from above the planet's atmosphere. And then he burns up as he's heading down towards Bakura. But he's not the only character that they do this to. Without any explanation whatsoever, any reasoning, or anything happening between the last time we see her and now, Gariel is dead and is also having her space Viking funeral. And it was just so jarring. Like, I literally had to stop and, like, I back I, I went back a couple chapters re-listened to it to make sure I hadn't like zoned out or anything I'm so mad because Gariel was like my favorite character in this book yeah I remember last week uh Jay came on and was was all ready to rant about how, how they killed off Gary and I was like wait a minute <laughs> We had like, like a collective record scratch when she said that. And it's like, wait, what? Huh? <laughs> I was like looking on Wikipedia. I was like, but she's in another, like she gets mentioned later. Like she, she's alive. It was, it was pretty Gary surprising. became a force ghost. <laughs> <laughs> you have your orders from Commander Captain. Which, which might make her that much more attractive to Luke because he kind of has a thing for that. So. That's fair. Oh That's my fair. God. So yeah, I'm not touching we, that. Wait, wait, wait. You know who stop, else isn't touching that? Stop! Stop! <laughs> stop! Stop! We're, oh, we're no, breaking Jay again. Stop. Does Luke canonically, like, is Luke canonically into spectrophilia? Um, which well, is let's just say that's not the only time that a forest, a relationship with a forest ghost would come up. Yeah, we'll, I think we'll, they're at least. We'll a get couple. there. I don't want to yeah. break you too much yet. Yeah, I mean, I'm it, not we've broken. Ways... I'm just. I want. I'm just so. I'm, I'm. 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 I just want to know more. Like, <laughs> what the, let's. Just is this say... a thing that happens? Can you date a force ghost? Let's just say, to your point about long distance relationships. Um, other writers didn't think it was as much of a problem as this one did. And maybe that's why she dies in this book. Maybe someone was coming back and was going to bring that character back because being a force ghost makes that distance thing a whole lot easier. Jay, I would like to point out that force ghosts can and have physically interacted with the world and with other people in such a manner that people may not even register that they were interacting with a force ghost if they were not already aware of the fact that uh, said person whose ghost it was, was dead. They also have greater control over the force (laughs) because they're part of the universal force at that point. So sex acts with a ghost possible in Star Wars. Confirmed. You guys are going to make me edit so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, geez, David, I have carpal tunnel. I can't do editing for a while. Time to use as many swear words and make as many inappropriate jokes as I can. I'm so sorry that I can't help you with the editing right now. I still need to go back and actually listen to our old episodes to see what gets edited out and to like listen to the censoring. Yeah, me too. So just by way of wrapping things up, because we are basically done. Most of the book is over. The uh, Bakura officially joins the New Republic, and we find out kind of in the, uh, the last chapter that New Republic intelligence kind of officially classifies this event as the, quote, Bakura incident, and decides not to tell anyone else about the Sea Rook. It's decided that they are a, they've been dealt with, and the existence of a race of sentient, life-sucking velociraptors uh, out there somewhere in the galaxy is too much for the new New Republic to bear. They don't want to make people demoralized on the cusp of having blown up the Emperor. Yeah, that So they keep it a fair. secret. Um, and we'll see later on whether or not that comes back to bite them. But not for a long time, because like I said, they don't come up again for a while. Uh, and with that, we're done with Truce at Bakura. So Woo! congratulations. If you're listening, you've made it through our first book. And congratulations to us. We have made it. I think um, the I think the audience is more deserving of that congratulations. Yeah, I know. For putting <laughs> all up of with our this. rapid trails. Yeah, no kidding. Oh. No kidding. But we've done it. Truce at Bakura is over. Next week, we're going to have, like I said, a discussion about the book. Just kind of what do we think about it in general? What are some things that stuck out? What do we think it pulled, you know, what could have been pulled from it into the new canon? Uh, and we'll sort of say our goodbyes to Truce at Bakura. And then the week after that, we will begin our next book. Uh, so I'm very excited. And uh, I really appreciate you all listening. We're going to wrap things up here because we've gone over time. Uh, my name's David. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AKA Agent Shades. You can find me on YouTube at a similar name. Uh, you can also email the show at legendsnrcast at gmail.com. I will check after I edit this to make sure that's the email address, questions, <laughs> comments, uh, anything like that. And uh, yeah, that's me. And this is Chris, your Sith apologist, who is currently hiding from Cat. And I'm Jason, and you can find me on Twitter at GhostShark20, and that's about it right now. And I'm Kat, your local Sith hunter. You can find me on Twitter at SeagullSoup. Make sure to send cool photos of things that you have built without using your thumbs. And if you happen to stumble across a certain Chris hiding somewhere in a corner, muttering to himself about Jedi, please feel free to <laughs> at me. <laughs> and i'm jay aka sharkray24 you can find me pretty much anywhere under that username but from now on due to certain certain conditions in my life i think i'm going to start taking a more hands-off approach to things <laughs> is it too soon for that joke i mean i know I mean, you're making it but i'm still. the I'm the one making it. Of course it's fine. <laughs> That's the rule. If you have the problem, you're allowed to make jokes about it whenever you decide Comedy it's is right. never used as an unhealthy coping mechanism. Of course not. What a fool people, I've been all these years. The people, the people with the problems set the tone for how those problems are addressed. Just saying. <laughs> I, I agree. Well, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, and we will catch you next time for our discussion episode of True Set Until then, this has been Legends. Yeehaw!